Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Father, we bring up the um, country of Haiti to you, Father, in this uh, tragedy that's happened with the earthquake and uh, so many other things, Lord. Um, Lord, we're not sure why, uh, why these things happen, Father, but we know that it's in your plans for this world, Father. Um, Lord, we ask that um, you be with those families that are there, ones that have uh, lost a brother, lost a sister, a mother, a father, other family members, Lord, and that you comfort them, Father, and that you use this time, Father, to help them to see the true King and Savior of this world, Lord. Uh, Father, we ask that um, also that you bring the world together, Father, as we've seen you done, uh, do and to help this country, Father. One where there's so little hope, so much uh, going on there, Father, even, even before the earthquake, Lord. Father, we pray for this world as, uh, to come together with your face in front as you as the lead, Father, from everyone in this room to everybody in the cities, Father, to the states, to all the countries in the world, Lord, that uh, we start with prayer, Father, that we pray for every uh, person in there, Lord, and that uh, we help with any other ways we can with, uh, with money and with time and, and, uh, and any, any which way we can, Father. And Father, we finally pray for uh, only the hope that Jesus Christ can give to uh, that land in, in Haiti, Father. Um, again, we're not sure why things happen, Father, but that's a land of, the, of, um, of such hopelessness, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Father. So many natural disasters always occur with the hurricanes and so on, and now this earthquake, Father. But, Father, we know there's a plan and a reason why you do things. And we just ask that through these things, Father, that they see the true Jesus Christ and Lord and the hope that you bring to them, Father. All this we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Also, as we stand, um, we're going to have a time of corporate prayer. And uh, corporate prayer is something that's a pretty rich tradition in the Christian faith. Not, and it's uh, where we can all bring up our voice in one, as one, together to the Lord. And it's not too different than uh, something like praise. And so what's going to happen is we're going to have some slides up. And we're going to pray together. So let's just uh, pray out loud. It's a prayer based on 1 Timothy uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And it focuses on uh, God's um, uh, grace to us and the love and faith through Jesus Christ. So if we can read together. I thank Jesus Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to be a blasphemer, a violent prosecutor, and the very worst of sinners, but the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. So here are words you must, may trust, words that merit full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To all who confess their sins and believe in him, he says, Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Praise God for his mercy. Amen. Thank you. Well, I'd like to uh, thank you for coming to Harvest Community Church this morning. It's a little different being up here. This is my first time, I think, being in the cafeteria speaking. It's a little crowded up here, and this technology is a little weird, and I found out that my head's bigger than Pastor Dave's, so that makes me a little bit nervous, too. Um, If you want to, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to look at Daniel in the lion's den today. What I'm going to end up doing is we're going to race through Daniel 6 and then I'll come back and make a few applications at specific parts. Do we have the picture of uh, Heath's drawing of the lions? 
It's a good picture, and we're going to get into why I like that picture a little bit later on. Uh, what I wanted to start with is a, little, a story that I heard another pastor explain about his life of integrity about 20 years ago or so. Uh, his name is Dewey, Dewey Bertolini, someone you probably don't know and uh, really doesn't make much of a difference. But he tells how one day he went to the bank and he went to make a deposit and a withdrawal. You know, you go in there, you deposit some money, and you take some money out as well as cash. And he tells how as he went to one specific tailor, um, tailor, what is tailor, what's the word I want to think? Thank you. All right, I was in the area. <laughs> it's the technology is frying my brain. I don't know, too much radiation. The teller. Not the talker like that one commercial, I am the talker. No, not that one. But, um, but he goes to the teller, and uh, he makes his deposit, and he, he takes out some money as well. And uh, as he's about to leave, he's, he's counting the money that he has, and he realizes that he has an extra $10. And he goes, wow, this is pretty cool. I have an extra $10. And then a thought struck him. It's like, hmm, I don't, know, I don't really think I should keep this $10 because it's not my $10. I think it's probably better if I just go back. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that story, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's like a lunch or two extra that you have on the bank. I mean, think about it. They, uh, they don't need the money. They have lots of money. It's a break for you. But he decided that it would be the right thing, and it is the right thing, mind you, to go back and explain, you know what, you gave me too much money in return. So he did, and he went up to the teller, and he said, listen, uh, this is what I asked for, but you gave me an extra $10. And the teller's response was very telling, excuse the pun. But she said, yes, thank you, whoever laughed. I appreciate that. But the teller said, I gave you that $10 on purpose because I know who you are. You're one of the pastors down the street of that church. And I wanted to see whether or not you were a man of integrity. And, I, and that, that was one story that has stuck with me so that wherever I go, I'm always giving back change. Because <laughs> you never know who's watching. And it's interesting because we had a new members class, and if you, it's a really fun class. But we had a new members class about uh, eight days ago, and I went to Costco, and I had to buy the binders. And I bought the binders, and one pack of four was like 10 bucks. I was like, wow, that's very expensive. But I had to get three because there's 10 people in the class. And I went up and I told the lady, uh, this is not personal because at Costco I had that credit card where you can say personal or business. And I told her it's business. And she goes, what business for? It's a Harvest Community Church. And uh, she rang it up and it came out 9.79 for the three of them. And she goes, here you go, sir. And she's about, she's about to you know, close out the account. And I said, wait a minute. You, I think you undercharged me. And she's like, really? I mean, that's what it came up. I mean, it, why is it that way? And she went back and did it. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, I wonder if she was testing me. <laughs> Just to see, because she knew it's a church, and I'm going to see if he's going to be honest. Because think about it, that's a $20 windfall. I just saved the church $20 if I leave. But what if she said, ah, sir, excuse me? That would have been embarrassing. So I want to talk about Daniel, because we're not only going to look at his integrity, but we're going to look at his integrity for a reason. So let's run through the chapter if I begin to speak too fast, which I may already be now, like I do in the new members class, don't, don't be afraid to just raise your hand or stand up and say, Amen, brother, a little slower, please. Okay? Because it happens and I get a little carried away. Let's look at it. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm not going to read this because I think I'll probably get dizzy up here. It, uh, Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, 
one of whom was Daniel. Here's kind of the idea. Uh, Darius, which could be an honorific title for Cyrus, is, is a new king. And as a new king, he's setting up his government. So he sets up his government in such a way that he has 120 kind of governor types with three sort of vice presidents of operations sort of thing. And one of these people is Daniel. So he's setting up his new kingdom, and he wants to make sure that this new kingdom runs efficiently. The satraps were made accountable to them that the king might not suffer loss. In other words, he doesn't want it only to run efficiently, but he also wants to be making money. Because as we all know, politicians have a tendency towards affairs and corruption. Not all of them, but this is what he's afraid of. I mean, if you want to be king and you want what is yours, you want to make sure that you have people who, in, who are in charge and are giving to you what you deserve. You don't want to be ripped off. Verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. He was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Basically, there's something different about Daniel. I mean, these are probably good administrators, people who can run a government efficiently, but in some way, shape, or form, everyone recognizes that this guy, Daniel, stands out among them all. So much so that the king says, you know what, instead of having three vice presidents of operations, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go maybe with a prime minister type who's under me as a king who can run this kingdom a lot more efficiently for me because this Daniel guy is a trustworthy guy. But he's not just a good guy, a smart guy, an efficient guy, but as we read in the story, we can see that it's connected to the way that he has a relationship with God. They're looking at him and saying, there's nothing wrong with this guy. We check his accounts. He balances his books to the penny. He does everything in a way that helps people. He's trying to bless the people in whatever way, shape, or form. There's nothing wrong with him. He's not lazy. He's not sloppy. In fact, he's hardworking and he's honest. We need to get rid of him. Because there's a sense of jealousy that these guys are going to feel because who doesn't want to be a prime minister type leader in a political situation? Let's move on, verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or any man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. It's a simple thing. They come up to him and they they kind of deal with two things. One, his ego and his desire, secondly, to have a very solid kingdom. So they come up to him and they say, Oh, king, like, live forever. You are, you're wonderful. I mean, we've been under the Babylonians and they weren't really good to us, but now we have you, the Medes and the Persians. Oh, king, you are just so awesome. You're so good. You kind of should be like God. I mean, for 30 days, you should raise yourself up in a sense and let us all pray to you because you're just so wonderful. You are such a blessing. It is so awesome to have you as our leader. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably something that would appeal to many of us, myself included. And I would say, yeah, you know, that's kind of a good idea. Y'all are going to honor me. That's fantastic. And what better way to be God for 30 days, because it's only 30 days, so there's a kind of humility there, right? Because he's not saying God forever, but for 30 days I'll be God, and then I'll step back down. Right? That's kind of good. I'm humble. And it'll solidify the kingdom and everyone will come together and everyone will be just focused on me and we'll get this thing and we'll run it efficiently. What a way to go. Very smart thing that these guys are doing in order to get rid of Daniel. The king, not really realizing what's going on, says, yeah, I like the idea. I'm in. Sign me up. Or better yet, let me sign the law which can't be repealed. So for 30 days, man, I am it. Let's move on. Verse 10, now when Daniel had learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. These men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Now here's the thing, when Daniel hears the news... He goes right to his prayer room. I mean, this is going to be an issue, as you probably already know in the story of Daniel 6. But the thing that really creeps me out about this is how much these guys are watching them. I don't know if you had this question in your community group this week, if your leader asked it or not, but how would you feel like, or what would you feel like, if you knew that someone was watching you 24-7? Wouldn't that be a little creepy? I mean, you, you do something and, and, and they're like, oh, you did that. I mean, okay, parents, you realize, though, your kids are watching you almost 24-7 except when they're sleeping, right? But it's kind of creepy if someone outside the family is watching you 24-7. They knew Daniel would pray three times a day. And that's why they went to the king because they knew that they could set him up and get him smacked down and get him out of the way so that they could all make their forward movement. And yet Daniel still does it. Because this is the regular pattern of his life. Verse 12, So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish it? And look how nice they are. They're very kind about this. They don't have anything specific in mind. But they say, Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man, except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? What a nice kind of sugary and syrupy way of kind of just setting up the king for the big old bomb. The king answers, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's true, man. The, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. In other words, yeah, that's a great law, guys. And it's still in existence. Ah. Verse 13. <clears throat> then they said to the king, oh, oh by the way, Daniel which is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. In other words, king, can you believe it? Daniel, this foreigner, whom you want to place ahead of us, doesn't even listen to you. That sounds a little untrustworthy to me. Not only is he not listening to you, but he's not praying to you. He's praying to his God, so he doesn't even respect you. So, king, hey, you know, you know what you need to do, right? Moves on. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. They took the king by surprise. Verse 15. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Perds, and the uh, Perds, I don't know what the Perds are. Woo! 
Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issue can be changed. So all day long, he's running around and he's talking to his lawyers. He's saying to Paul M., you know, hey, Paul, we need a new law here. We've got to figure out something. But you know what? There's nothing that we can do. This edict must be carried out. You're in trouble. So, verse 16, the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. In other words, there's absolutely nothing that I can do for you. The law is the law. Which makes these other guys so smart because they knew once they could touch his ego that the king would go along with them and they would be able to get rid of Daniel and everyone would be able to move forward. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. In a sense, it is a hopeless situation. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. In other words, he's blown it, he knows that he's blown it, and he's feeling really bad about it. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lion's den? Now, if I were Daniel, this is what I would have done. Ha! Gotcha! He doesn't do that. You know, you know why I'm doing that, right? Because I'm going to try to teach him a lesson. You got that? Okay, good. All right, because you're all looking at me. Why was he standing there like that? He's looking, he's looking like a Lutheran today. What's up? Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> Focus. Verse 21. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. In other words, God has delivered Daniel from the lions. Then hasn't been pulled out yet, but he has experienced deliverance. So what these guys wanted to do, as we will see, has backfired on them. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed and gave the orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. In other words, it wasn't that these lions were lying around as though they were already full, thank you Mary, but that they were actually hungry. Perhaps pacing back and forth, I don't know, but we'll get back to the heat's picture and we'll see how that works out. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. Here is a king who is benevolent. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For his God is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. The idea in the end that not only does God deliver Daniel from the lion's den, but God is revealed for who he truly is. If you read Lowe's last few verses, and I ripped them out of this passage and put them in the New Testament, you would think that Paul said to himself, here is someone who is not following God, who understands that God is God, and he is not. All right. So you have an idea of the story. Let's get two applications from this. Number one is this. God reveals himself through his people. 
God reveals himself through his people. As you can see throughout the whole story of Daniel, God is revealing himself through Daniel. Everyone knows that this God exists because they've been watching Daniel and they understand his life. I mean, if you just read through the book of Daniel, you see the deliverance that they experienced in chapter 1 in dealing with food issues. You see the deliverance that's experienced again in chapter 2 when the king wants to kill everybody. And you see deliverance with the fiery furnace. You see all kinds of examples how through the faith of Daniel and his friends that God really exists. And everyone around can see that this God truly exists. I mean, look at some of the key verses. Verses 3 through 5. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They knew he was different. They saw God because he was different. His integrity revealed God in many ways. And in verses 16 through 20, what does the king say? Oh, Daniel, this God whom you serve continually. That wasn't an insight I had, but an insight that someone in my community group had on Friday. And the idea is that God is revealed through his people. Now, how does God reveal himself through his people? God reveals himself through his people in this way. God works through us after he has worked in us. Does that make sense? God works through us after he has worked in us. How does Daniel get to the place that he is at? Now think about this. At chapter 6, Daniel is probably 80 years old. No, Chris is not 80 years old. Neither am I. But here's an 80-year-old man who for 60 years has been following God. And for 60 years, these guys went back into the history books probably and they could find nothing wrong with Daniel. For 60 years, he has lived in integrity. There is something so different about him that whenever Daniel is mentioned in chapter 6, someone connects it to God and says he is so different. Not for a season, like three months, but for 60 years in the midst of a very most difficult situation. Three different kings, not necessarily the most wholesome environment to be working in, Everyone recognizes that Daniel is God's man. And they've seen God move through Daniel. But it's not something here, as we see in chapter 6, that happens spontaneously. It's not that one day Daniel's walking around and he hears this decree and he goes, Oh, wow, I think I'm going to pray. But as we read through these verses, it says, As his regular practice, Daniel prayed. Not just said prayers, because there's a difference between saying prayers and actually praying. I believe that every one of us here can say a prayer. I mean, if you just went along with what Paul read along as well, you could say that you have said a prayer. But that doesn't mean that you have actually prayed. Because what praying is, is our hearts connecting with God's hearts and allowing Him to reveal Himself to us in such a way that He molds and shapes our hearts to be more like His heart, so that it in turn affects our lives. So Daniel isn't spontaneously responding to some crisis in his life, but he's actually so lived it, it's so infused as a part of his life, that God, as we can see through Daniel, works in, or through us after he's already worked in us. 
Does that make sense? That's why when we are encouraged to pray, we're encouraged not just to say prayers, but to really see God. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians how we view his glory and his glory changes us. It makes us different. He is a man of integrity. He is a man of faith. I mean, even in the end in verse 23, it says, this is the God whom you have trusted. You have trusted in God. Now, think about this. I thought about this myself a little bit this week. And I was reflecting on Daniel's situation, and I thought that if I heard a decree like this, probably what I would do is pray silently. You know what I mean? I have friends, when I go to uh, lunch with them, they're not followers of Christ. It's sort of an uncomfortable thing when you're sitting at a table of five people and you say, hold on a minute, guys. Uh, I'm going to pray for my food right now. Which makes everybody feel uncomfortable, right? Try that at lunch at work this week. Everyone's gonna, they're going to look at you like, um, hello, what are you doing? And you're going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to be a little bit awkward. So what do I normally do? I just kind of look down at my food and I pray. I mean, this is just lunch, man. I mean, it's not like I'm going to lose my life or anything. But Daniel doesn't do that. And I think mean, that's really cool about it because in a sense what Daniel is saying is God is real. And God exists. And you don't get to that place unless you meet with God. And I don't mean like you meet with God once in a while, like, hey, it's, a, it's our annual reunion, God. I'm going to meet with you but as a regular practice as we see in Daniel's lives. For 60 years, this man has been intentional and relational in meeting with his God. And so that when the crisis comes, he's already had the groundwork laid and he is prepared to stand for God like he should. It's his regular practice. It's his regular pattern. He is a man who understands what's going on. Now think about this. What would it be like if we had a government that said for 30 days all religions cannot pray? Or just imagine just for 30 days we just stop praying as a church. How would that affect us? Or you yourself just stop praying for 30 days. How would that affect you? Would, you, would it affect you? Would it make a difference in the way that we do things? I would argue for Daniel it would have made a huge difference. Think about the situation in which he finds himself. How many of you work in an environment where it is almost anti-God? How many of you? Don't be afraid to raise your hands. You don't have to be ashamed. Okay, only three of you. Everybody else works in a church setting. Beautiful. I love it. Sometimes I wonder about our church office, but I don't want to bring Pastor Dave in here because he's not here to defend himself. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Daniel recognizes, I need God. I mean, not like I need God, but he's recognizing that. I need God, and because of that, I must meet with God. Not once a day, not twice a day, but three times a day as my regular pattern, because without God infusing his life into me, God cannot work through me, because... God will not work through me until he has worked in me, which is crucial for us to understand. It just doesn't happen. Many of us are feeling like my faith is weak, it's anemic, nothing is happening. Why isn't God using me? Many times it's simply because we have not taken the time to look into the heart of God 
let the heart of God change us and then live in that relationship and then things will happen. I don't think Daniel was saying, you know what, I must pray because I want to make a difference. That's the wrong attitude. He says, I must pray because I need God to make a difference in my life and then let God make the difference. Does that make sense? And what I fear is that not only as individuals, but also as a church, we fail to understand how desperate we need God, and so we don't pray because we think everything's going to be okay in the end. My wife was telling me about the grip retreat and how much she liked participating in their worship because here you had 40 people who are hungry for God to do something in them, ultimately to do something through their ministry because they want to reach inner city kids and teach them that there is a father whose name is God who wishes to come alongside them and give them hope and break that cycle that they're stuck in as a culture and a community. They're hungry. If Daniel stopped praying for 30 days, it would be a problem. Here's what I think. I think each and every one of us, of ultimate necessity, must meet with God for extended and uninterrupted time in order to develop our relationship with Him. Otherwise, God will not work through you. If He does, it'll be rare. And only because of rather than through with a sense of purpose. Here's three things I think we need to do. Number one, I think we need to stop making excuses of why you can't find that time to pray. I love the rationalizations. There's many of them, but we forget one thing. Whether it's a mom who says, you know what, I'm too busy. I have so many things running around. Listen to me, mom. Or listen to me, dad, who has children. You must pray. God has made you a parent of those children so that they can see Christ in you and say that is good and I want that but if you're too busy to spend the time then you're missing the point of why God has raised you up to be a parent to those children you must spend that time yes I must make more money to get them into a good college yeah that's a good thing I agree with that get them into the best college that you can I totally agree with that because what I would like to see is our children to grow up to be those great doctors those great lawyers those great whatever it is so that people can say the best of the best are those who follow Christ yeah I like that idea but we don't want to raise our kids in an environment where they may be the best of the best but they are without Christ I don't know what Daniel's parents are like, but I could imagine that they probably spent a lot of time themselves praying because they wanted Daniel to be the best, and he rose to be the best. Everyone recognized that Daniel was the best because they prayed. Busyness is not an excuse. Dude, you don't understand my traveling schedule. I'm so busy. It takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get downtown. Then I've got to walk another half hour to get to my job and walk back, and then it's going to take me another hour and 15 minutes to get back home. And by then I'm tired, and I've got to watch some TV or something. I've got to veg out. I've got to relax. I'm so tired. I can't pray. Yes, you can. You must. You must. Otherwise, who wants to get to the end of the life and you look back and there's nothing there? As followers of Christ, I don't think we want to get to that place. Stop making excuses as to why you can't and do it. Spend the uninterrupted, extended time with Him no matter what. It doesn't mean that right away and one week later you're going to see people when you walk into the church office fall on the ground and say, Oh, what must we do to be saved? 
I don't know if that's going to happen. Because for Daniel, it was 60 years of a regular pattern of life. And he changed his world so much so that we're talking about him several thousand years later. Number two, stop focusing on doing and start focusing on being. Here's what I mean. You know, we're such human doings, aren't we? How many of you are happy that you're so busy? You get into conversations, how you doing, how everything, oh man, I am busy, I'm so busy, you don't understand how busy I am. And it's like, well, hey, you're pretty good, man, you're busy, you must be someone who is important. Hey, what'd you do today, man? Ah, just laid around the house and stuff. Oh, you're lazy, man, there's nothing important about you. You're a loser, big L, baby, you know? Because it's kind of like, can you relax? No, I can't relax. But you got to be busy. Hey, oh, I got this thing. I got that function. You know, you know, we're so worried about doing. Even when we come to pray, I look at my own prayer life. It's God, can you do this? God, can you do this? God, can you do that? God, can you do this? I think God really would like to say, please, time out. I know already. Can you be? Can you human being for a little bit and just be here? Take a load off your feet. Even if, you want to, if you're on your knees, get on your knees, whatever it is, but just relax a little bit in my presence. Let my face be seen by you. Let my glory be shown to you because I want to work through you, but I can't do that until I work in you. And if you don't shut up, I can't work in you. Be someone. You know, I don't think Daniel was striving to be a world changer. I don't think his parents said, hey, Daniel, be a world changer. I don't think he went to all the universities that he went to, because he didn't even get a choice in that matter, just in order to do something. But he followed God so that he could be someone, his child, and then he let God take care of the rest. I mean, think about this. God is orchestrating all of these things. And I even wonder if some way God is provoking the satraps and the administrators so that he can reveal himself in the end. But he can't do that if there's no one there who's being someone in order to have that get done. So stop focusing on doing when you pray and start focusing on being. Thing, uh, third thing I want to leave you with this is use some prayer helps. You know, Daniel prayed towards Jerusalem kind of reminds him that, you know, God promised that one day we would return. And I think Daniel is thinking, you know what, it's been about 70 years and God has promised that we would go back to Jerusalem. So I can imagine that Daniel is praying in such a way that he's praying that this man, Cyrus, is the one who will let the people go back because the 70 years time has come up. Now let me give you some things. This is what I've t- I tried to use in the past. These are helpful hints whether you want to follow them or not or you want to tune out for a few seconds, that's okay. Um, I've tried using pictures. You know, family pictures and stuff like that. Uh, things that you could put up on the wall that you can say, these are people that you remember. Uh, this is someone that I can focus on and I can pray for them. Um, I've also tried using um, past experiences, prayer lists, Bluetooth. Do you remember when I shared, with, you know, use your Bluetooth? Um, I don't know who it was, but somebody the other day was telling me, you know, isn't it how interesting that today, if you saw someone walking down the street, talking out loud, like let's just pretend I'm walking down the street, and I'm saying, hi, how are you? What's going on? What's happening? About 20 years ago, when you were, uh, um, if you were older than I am, or younger than I am, or whatever, people, when they walked around like that, talking out loud in public, they were considered what? Looney! Hey, there's Mabel, man. She's talking to herself again. Wow, who's she talking to? Aliens? She's weird. Now, you can put that thing in your ear. You don't even have to have it on. You don't even have to have it charged up. You can make it look like you're talking to somebody. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, they're on the phone. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I was in Walgreens the other day, and some lady started talking to me. I was going to answer. Then I saw the thing in her, and I was, okay, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? You can pray that way. You can do that when you're driving. Don't you ever get uncomfortable, and you're, 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 somebody's next to you, and you're singing? 
I don't know, maybe you don't, but I get really uncomfortable because they're like, oh, you're kind of... Bluetooth covers it all. (laughs) Put in your ear. You can pray all day long. And you can talk out loud. It's great. Uh, You can use your hand. You can write it out. How many of you have um, texting capabilities on your phones? Dumb question, right? Everybody does. You know what? I pray using text messages. You know who I text messages to? Not God because he has an unlisted number. Myself. I just sit there because it helps me focus. So use anything you can in order to meet with God. Because if you don't meet with God, then what we do here today and what you do throughout the week is basically useless. Because God does not work through us until he has worked in us. And God does not work in us in a vacuum. God works in us when we meet with him heart to heart and we see his glory and his glory transforms us because we have become someone, we have been someone, so that when we go out there, we can do something for God. Stop making excuses that you can't meet with him. Second thing, God reveals himself through his miracles. Let's read again verses 19 through 24. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is a miracle. I mean, I don't know what Daniel was praying for when he prayed. The law is not going to change. That's all said and done. And he's going to pray, and he knows that he's going to end up in the lion's den. I don't know if he's saying, God, give me strength, because when they throw me in there, I'm going to be whimpering. Okay, that's me. If I knew that I was going to be thrown in the lion's den, I'd be crying for my mommy. They'd be dragging me, all those kind of things. So he might have been praying, God, give me strength. Or he might have just saying, God, deliver me. I don't know what he was praying. But think about this. Can we put Heath's picture back up there? I like this picture because I wonder, you know, what, how, did the, how did the angel do this? Was the angel a lion whisperer? You know what I mean? Like a horse whisperer and they have dog whisperer. Did the angel kind of come up to the lions and go, Ah, nice kitty, kitty, kitty. Chill. And all the lions are laying around like this and Daniel's playing with them. Wouldn't that be kind of cool like if you open it up and you see Daniel rolling around and you're like, oh, they're eating him. And he's like, oh, I'm having a blast. And he throws a little lion cub up in the air and he catches it. And everyone's like, I don't know if that's happened. That's why that's a pretty cool picture because that would be pretty neat. Or... In a strange way, if the, if the angel is, is standing there in front of Daniel with these fiery hands and the lions are all scared. I, I don't know. I, I like this better because I think that just looks kind of cool because it basically says, you know what, God can take something so powerful and make it powerless in order to do this miracle and deliver his people. And what happens then when Daniel's pulled out and they throw the other people in, man, those lions go crazy. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And every time when I read through miracles in the Bible, I always think of George Mueller because as a 19th century pastor in England, he always, always prayed. 
And his reason for praying was this. He said, you know what? When I look at my nation and, and I see the moral decline that this nation is in, and I see the church not having a hunger and a desire for God, you know what? I'm going to start praying for things that only God can do so that God is revealed as really being God. And so as we're thinking about Mueller, as we're thinking about Daniel, as we're thinking about all these things, God reveals himself through miracles. Now, I'm going to confess to you, and I know that I've confessed this to you before, but wouldn't it be cool if just one day you could go to a wake and rise, raise someone from the dead? Am I the only person that thinks those things? Every wake I go to, I pray, God, please, may this be the one time that I can go up to it and say, rise in the name of Jesus, so that everyone could look and say, yes, God exists. That'd be, it's never happened. I've never done it because I'm too scared. I will confess that as well. But wouldn't it be cool if things like that happened? I'm not saying let's go out and pray just for miracles only because in the same way many people follow Jesus just for the miracles, not because of who Jesus was. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that you have to have a miracle a day because in Daniel's life, all we're seeing are highlights. One, two, three. Four, six, those are highlights. But what I am saying, why are we so afraid as followers of the living God who can do whatever he wants to be asking for miracles? Why are we afraid of that? Why aren't we praying for things that only God can do? And why is it that we have so minimized the power of God that we say, you know what, the real true miracle is a changed life. Amen! You can't argue with that. A true miracle is a changed life. But that's all we look for and we hope that that's what God does and everyone will say, wow, God is good as God's great. Which in many ways is true because that's the life of Daniel. But there's something more because I don't want us to miss out on what Daniel 6 is really teaching us is that God wants to reveal himself and he will reveal himself through his people who live in integrity and he will reveal himself through miracles. Because God wants to do something that nobody can explain, and the only thing you can say is, yes, that was God. And that, to me, is the sense of what this story about Daniel in the, in the lion's den is all about. One of the most interesting stories that I've read in a short little book that Benson just loves. <clears throat> so you know that it's a good book if Benson loves it. It's uh, Watchman Nee's Sit, Walk, Stand. And uh, near the end of the story, as he's talking, uh, end of the book, as he's talking about spiritual warfare, he talks about how him and a team of Chinese evangelists went to this one island, and on this island they started to preach the gospel, but nobody was responding. Now you have to understand, Watchman Nee was like a Billy Graham of his day in China, and when people heard, you know, Watchman Nee speak, they were just like wanting to come to Christ because they saw Christ. But they get to this island and nothing. So they've been ministering for like nine days, no real fruit of the gospel like they've seen in the past. And one of his co-workers says, hey, why don't you people believe in Jesus? This is good stuff. And their answer is, well, you know, we already have God. We have one God. And uh, every year, right around this time, you know, it rains a lot on this island, but there's just one day through divination for the last 288 years it's always been perfectly sunny on this day. Rains before, rains after, but perfectly sunny on this day. The guy says, you know what? It's going to rain. It's not going to be perfectly sunny on this day that you say that it's going to happen. Everyone's like, oh, if that happens, then your God is God. Well, you know the end of the story. Uh, the, t the day comes, and it's bright and sunny out. So uh, 
Watchman Nee and his team are a little bit nervous because, I mean, this is it, man. If it doesn't rain, then there is no God and they might as well leave the island. About an hour into it as they're sitting down to eat breakfast and one last time they say, God, please let it rain. It rains like crazy. What happens afterwards? The people realize that there is no God that they used to have, but that God is God and he's the one to be followed. Why does that happen here? I can't be the only person that's sitting here today that wonders why doesn't God move like he does in everyone else's life? And the frightening answer that I get is, you know what, we are not like Daniel. We are too busy. We are over-resourced. We have too many resources. We have too many things that we think are really going to be, we have a great worship team. Pastor Dave comes up, we have great speaking. We have a great place to meet. It's a little cold I'm up here sweating a little bit and I feel warmer, but it's still a good place to be. We have a lot of great things. Go to the church office. We probably have a couple thousand books, church girls, spiritual life, how to know this, how to know that. We have all these resources, and yet we do not see the God of Daniel moving in ways that he moved in Daniel's life, that he moved in uh, George Mueller's life, that he moved ultimately in Watchman Nee's life. Why is that? Doesn't that bother you? Why is it, and let's ask this question, you know, we have the new members class, they go, we have two ordinances at Harvard Community Church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We haven't had Lord's Supper in a long time, we're going to have it next week. But why no baptisms? Because people aren't coming to Christ, guys. It doesn't have to come to our church, but it's not happening. Why? And I think it's tied into the fact that as a body and even as individuals, we have not realized that God will not work through us until he has worked in us. And so we don't pray, making all these sorts of rationalizations, rather getting to the point and saying, God, we have neglected what you have called us to do, to be your children. And we are not seeking your face in ways that people will look at us and not only say, hey, you're a nice person. You know, my fear is that when I die, all these people are going to come and say, wow, he was such a nice guy. And that's the end of it. I don't want to be a nice... I mean, I want to be a nice guy. I don't want to be a mean guy tripping little kids down the hallway and stuff like that. But I don't want to be recognized, hey, you know what, he was a nice guy. I want people to say, you know what, you can't find anything wrong in him because of his faith in God. And to see that be, not that they're attracted to me, because I'm not, but that they're attracted to God in us so that people say, I want Jesus. Because I can see that it is good. I wonder what it would be like for 30 days if it was a church every day we said, God, and I mean everybody in the church too, please, one person, just one person, to come in here and say, I did not believe a few days ago, but now I know that God is God. I am convinced that God does not raise up the church to just gather on Sundays or Wednesdays or Thursdays or Tuesdays or whatever you do. But we gather because we come together on fire, spend this time together to see God working in us so that he can work through us. And ultimately, through the miracle of changed lives and even through the little miracles or the big miracles that happen in our lives, that God is seen to be God, that he can be trusted and that he can deliver. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are here today, and we ask some hard questions, not of you, but of ourselves. 
there are plenty of hard questions that we'd love to ask you. Father, I would ask, stir our hearts. Stir our hearts deeply to look at the lives of so many people who have followed you in the past and who show us by their lives and tell us by their writings that you are a God who works in his people when they meet with him as a regular pattern, as a lifestyle. Father, bring us to that place where, like Daniel, we are hungry and we are desperate for you to work in our lives and to be revealed through our lives. Father, we want to get to a place where we are hungry to see the lost find Jesus. To know that there is no one who is like you. And though it's harder to follow you than it is to live without you, please give us grace, strength, and power to speak the words of life that you have placed in our hearts and to see fruitfulness occur in the lives of those who are around us. They're family members, friends we have, co-workers, neighbors, and we know they don't care at all for you. We pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they may know the power of your salvation, that may use us just like you have used so many before in the past. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.